Building your business was hard. Getting out of it on your terms can be even harder. Welcome to the Tobin Leff M&A Podcast, where you can rewrite the next chapter of your life with the help of business owners who have been in your shoes. In the past decade, Tobin Leff has completed over 125 successful merger and acquisition and exit planning engagements across the U.S. with a focus on marketing, advertising, PR, and digital firms. Go online to TobinLeff.com to learn about the latest in business so that you can build and monetize your company value. Join us now for today's conversation. Hello, this is David Tobin, founder of Tobin Leff. Over the past four to six weeks, many of our clients and prospective clients have been asking us about the M&A marketplace. Are buyers buying? What has the impact been to multiples and valuation models? Can acquirers access the capital markets and secure the needed dollars to make acquisitions? What should owners do who need or want to sell over the next six to 12 months, but they're concerned because their valuations may be down? To address these questions and others, I'm thrilled to be joined by two industry experts, both of whom have grown their enterprises via strategic acquisitions. Michael Kempner, founder and CEO of MWWPR, and Peter Finn, founder and managing partner of Finn Partners. We're going to begin our discussion with some questions posed to Michael. Michael, thank you for joining me. I know many of our listeners will welcome your input, your insights on the industry. If I may, just to tell our audience a little bit about you. So you are the founder and CEO of MWW, a full service agency based in New York with eight offices, both in the US and Europe. I know you have close to 200 employees and billings over $45 million. I'm excited for you to share your experiences because I know that you have been on both sides of the table. You sold your company to a holding company, IPG, and then you bought it back years later. So I know our listeners would love to hear your experience on buying and selling in today's marketplace. So with that, Michael, I'm going to just jump into some questions that I have for you, and I know others would would welcome hearing. So, Thanks, David. Good. So crazy times today. The pandemic, how has it changed your views, your approach, strategies for acquisitions, growing with strategic acquisitions? Well, I mean, first off, crazy is an understatement. Uh, you know, it, unprecedented. Um, you know, no one really knows how long this is going to go on for. Uh, what does, you know, opening look like? When does that happen? Does the virus come back? Uh, when will they have a vaccine, therapeutics, accurate testing? Uh, so there's you know, there's so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think most of us went through or many of us went through a similar uh, kind of a similar trajectory right now. I mean, the first thing people did was to make sure that they uh, 
were financially solvent, make sure they had enough cash to continue their operations. Then quickly that moved into making sure that um, that they could continue to service their clients well, conserve, continue to have open and transparent communications with their employees, mm-hmm. uh, continue to run and build a business that in the first week or two um, was a very frightening prospect. You know, yes. fortunately, um, we had put ourselves in the position, you know, over the last few years to withstand these kind of storms, not anticipating the storm. I don't want to pretend mm-hmm. that we had foresight on this, but, uh, but, you know, economies go up, economies go down. Uh, and um, anybody who thought and would think that this economy would go up forever was just fooling themselves. I mean, anybody who thought it would go down this quickly, um, uh, there was, you know, no one anticipated that. But it was important to make sure that you could survive the vagaries of any economy. So as far as uh, growth and acquisitions, I mean, the first thing we did, and I suspect most of my colleagues did, was to put a variety of acquisitions we had on hold. In fact, mm-hmm. we even we had one that we had actually signed uh, an LOI, um, but uh, put those on hold because not only did we not have have any visibility into our own business, um, the acquisition targets had absolutely no visibility into their business. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so until um, things began to settle out there was really no way you could move forward with any sort of acquisition. Yes. Which I think most sellers would, would expect. No. And again, I think, and I think most buyers would understand as well because, um, you know, they had no sense of what their business was going to look like. They couldn't, there was no way to give anybody uh, assurances during due diligence um, or uh, any review of, of their customer base, uh, how many employees they were going to have, who would still mm-hmm. be employed. So there were, it was really impossible to value any businesses given that the businesses themselves had really little visibility into what their future looked like. Understandable, understandable. So when we start coming out of this on the back end, back to your point, nobody knows how long, but when it starts to happen, I assume, Michael, there's going to be an assumption that on average valuations might be different. You know, I I think that, you know, one of the things that are going to happen is that the um, valuations in the mind of the acquirer will have to begin to meet the valuations in the mind um, of the seller, mm-hmm. I, you know, it typically it takes a while for people to realize whether it's a piece of real estate, um, it's another investment, it's the ownership of a company, uh, to understand that the value has gone down. Yes. And I mean, and so I, I do think it's going to take a little bit longer before sellers understand that their valuation is going down. I, well, both their revenue has gone down, their mm-hmm. profit has gone down significantly. 
So a combination of just multiples in the marketplace, which may change, yes. as well as just what you're multiplying it against, what is going to be the EBITDA, uh, you know, is going to be dramatically changed for most companies, if not the vast majority. And then you've got the situation now that their companies are worthless. Do people even want to sell? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I, I think many sellers who felt that they were at the time to get what they considered to be fair value for their companies will now reassess and uh, and will work to try to build up their company again. So they sell it at a price that uh, has value to them versus at a fire sale. So I do believe that, so, that many sellers will come out of the marketplace in order to stabilize their companies first and, mm-hmm. and then sell them. And on the other hand, there will be a group of companies that um, you know, have lost a significant part of their business, particularly companies that may have had uh, you know, a lot of concentration in one or two, com- in one or two clients yes. that may need lifelines just to survive. So mm-hmm. I do think you'll see two types of companies, those who um, want to build their company back up before they sell it, others who will need a lifeline just to survive, and then people in the middle. So I think mm-hmm. buyers and sellers have a very different um, roadmap ahead of them, as do buyers who uh, are going to have a difficult time understanding the true value of companies. Sure. And Michael, if we could stay on that. For those sellers that do not want to go through building back via another recession, what would be your advice to them? Well, I mean, I mean, there's, you know, it, it, you know, it really depends on their objectives. I mean, I start with objectives and work backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, there are going to be those who this has been such a destructive time emotionally, mentally, and financially for them that they would just be happy to find a home that gives them stability um, and and family and resources. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, those people, you know, should find the kind of company where they feel welcome and meets their, you know, emotional and financial and intellectual needs. Um, in some cases, they may want to uh, take some equity in the, in the new company versus just taking cash. It will give them skin in the game and make them part of the growth of the organization. Mm-hmm. In other cases, they would just want, to, you know, people may just want to take what's left and cash out. Uh, there are those who, uh, you know, it, the most important thing is to find the right cultural mix, find people that you like. This is going to be a, a difficult few years. Yes. Um, so if you're going to be working with someone, you want to work in a place that motivates you, someplace that you're excited to be part of, that you can grow with, but also meets your financial needs, or at least gives you the upside mm-hmm. that uh, if you can rebuild, that you can make significant money. I do think you'll see many deals with smaller down payments, but giving uh, the seller, the sellers or the selling group the opportunity to make as much money, if not more if they go out there and rebuild their business. So, you know, a lot of it will be more um, more down payment, yes. but giving people plenty of upside, um, which is the kind of deal I'd be in favor of uh, if I were to look for an 
acquisition now. I'd want to make sure that the seller or sellers had the opportunity to make as much money, if not more, than before the crisis. But it'll have to be more on the back end and more risk reward. Good. Good. So you're, of course, referencing whether it's via an earnout formula and or stock in the acquiring company and possibly even phantom stock units. Any combination right, of those? I should, yeah, I suspect there'll be smaller down payments, but the opportunity through a variety of different um, intensive programs, again, whether it be earn out or offensive stock or stock or um, a bonus if uh, if certain EBITDA numbers are met or cash flow numbers are met, um, those are all going to be available. And again, you know, I've always found that, you know, you need to create uh, deals that are win-win for both parties. So if I can minimize my risk, but also give greater incentive and upside to the seller, uh, both parties win because the seller will end up making the same amount of money, if not more, but I will minimize my risk up front uh, given the fact that visibility is so unclear. Good. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I assume structures like you just outlined would apply to aqua hires as well as more traditional acquisitions, aqua hires being smaller groups, strategic hires that come with blocks of business. Do you see more activity with those smaller groups as well? I would love to, um, a firm like ours would love to make aqua hires. We'd even make them today in the middle of all this. Uh, and again, how do we craft and create upside for people? And again, it's all about if you're going to bring someone on through an aqua hire, through an acquisition, you know, again, how do you create an environment where they can work and they can thrive? Mm-hmm. Uh, both, again, you know, remember, yeah, it financially is important, but you know, people are going through a tough time. So intellectually, emotionally, and financially. And yes. how can you uh, create an environment? And, you know, the one thing I've never understood is how people try to, you know, limit um, the ability for sellers to earn uh, upside. Mm-hmm. The fact is that a buyer and a seller should have their goals perfectly aligned because the more the seller does, if you structure it right, the more the better of a deal it is for the company. So your objectives should be totally aligned. How do you create something where the seller is very motivated and very excited for the future, at the same time, create the right uh, EBITDA, profitability, and growth for the acquirer. Good. So what you're structuring, of course, could meet both those owners that need or want to sell for their personal or financial reasons, as well as even companies pre-pandemic, if they appreciate and realize the downstroke, the down payment might be lower as long as there's upside opportunities if they build back. And David, I even think there's creative deals. Do you do, uh, do you make a minority investment? You know, does mm-hmm. it acquire, is there a strategic partnership? I mean, with, with, with economics, not just, yes. uh, not just a press release strategic partnership. Are there things you can do again? Do you, do you have, do you sell it for equity? So people can truly roll their business in and have a, seat at the table in the new organization. Mm-hmm. You know, an organization like ours, I mean, we are 
you're very interested and frankly um, beginning this week next week are going to be moving back into the marketplace to look at and look for potential acquisitions mm-hmm. um, and, and again with similar economics in the past just structural differences so again uh, more upside less upfront good good and that's great it's an insightful for larger acquisitions i don't know if you've had a chance to assess capital markets you had mentioned you were prepared for this i assume you had a strong balance sheet coming into the pandemic but do you have a sense on the capital markets and banks how willing they will be to lend money for acquisitions you know, I would be surprised if banks are willing to take much risk. You know, I would argue they may not be willing to take any risk. And given that uh, marketing firms and public relations firms don't have hard assets, you are, except for their accounts uh, receivable, and mm-hmm. those are not those are not traditional hard assets. Um, I think you're, you're going to find very few banks willing to lend. And those do are going to lend on more conservative terms, um, less multi, you know, less, you know, I would say assume smaller EBITDA multiples than others. But which gives an opportunity for companies like ours that that we have cash. Mm-hmm. So companies that have cash will have a distinct advantage over those who don't. Companies that are independent will have a distinct advantage of those who are part of a holding company. Holding yes. companies now will not be in the position to make any acquisitions. Uh, they are much more concerned about cutting costs and fueling um, shareholder value. Mm-hmm. For independent agencies that are well capitalized, this can be, this can be and should be an, uh, an important and good time for them as things begin to settle down a little. Great. Michael, very helpful and insightful information. Thank you for sharing. Any departing thoughts for whether it's buyers or sellers as we look to the next couple of quarters related to M&A transactions? Well, first start is that nothing is important is as important as people's safety and health. And that has to be the number one priority. People need to keep themselves, their families, their friends safe and healthy. And no firm should be doing anything to put any of their employees in any jeopardy of becoming sick. And even if that is to the detriment of your business, your first responsibility is the health and welfare of your employees. Once you're satisfied that you've taken care of number one, or you continue to take care of number one, you know, I do think that there will be some interesting opportunities to be had both by the sellers, both for sellers and acquirers. The real question will be, you know, are sellers prepared to be honest about what the new normal looks like, or will they still be, um, planted in what structures and prices look like prior to this. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I can't blame them for doing that. I'm just saying, yes. if, if, 
transactions are going to take place. You will have to see some shift in pricing and in models. And if that happens, you could see a very robust marketplace. And if it doesn't, you know, the transactions will happen. It'll just be slower. Got it. Well, Michael, thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. We will be in touch. And, and again, if anybody is looking for a partner, uh, whether an aqua hire or a company, we would love to talk to them. Got it. And I'm sure they would welcome that conversation as well. Michael, thank you again. David, be safe, be well, and talk soon. Well, I am pleased to be joined by Peter Finn, who is the founder and managing partner of Finn Partners. I am excited for Peter to share his experience, his thoughts, insights about acquisitions, because he truly has industry experience as a leader growing via acquisitions. Peter, you shared with me over the last seven years, you have made 19 acquisitions, both in the States and in Europe, which has contributed to your growth, which last year your billings, I know it's public information and you don't, if you don't mind me sharing your billings, were north of $120 million in fee revenue. You have close to 800 employees worldwide. Certainly commend you, and I know our readers and listeners would welcome hearing from you on the subject. Thank you. That's great. And when we were preparing for this, you had mentioned that acquisitions certainly not only contributed to your top line, but it also supported and fueled your organic growth. Can you just touch on that? Absolutely. What we're finding is that um, as we have teams joining us, that uh, there are opportunities that we get that we can pitch more effectively because of the, the, the additional depth the new teams bring to us, or in some cases, the, the, te- the new team joining us gets an opportunity that they never could have won without us. So together, we're winning many pitches that we never could have won without coming, joining forces. Good to know, good to know. And certainly those acquisitions happened before the pandemic. And our listeners would love to know, what are some of your thoughts, your views as it relates to growing via strategic acquisitions in today's marketplace? Well, our our strategy for our growth isn't going to change. We have slowed things down uh, because of the current uh, crisis environment. Um, But we have uh, a number of acquisitions that we've been working on for a while. Uh, that we'll we'll be closing on. It, it may be that we'll close on a few over the summer. Others we push in the fall. I also have many opportunities that I'm I'm working on. Uh, usually, I find that from a first conversation till we close on a deal, it takes a year. Sometimes a little less. Sometimes a little more. Mm-hmm. So there there are opportunities I'm working on that we'll be closing on next year, and I'm continuing to work on those. Good. So for new opportunities that you're assessing. What would be your expectations on how valuations may be impacted because of the economic shock? What do you think will happen with multiples? Well, you know, for us, uh, I take a long-term point of view. Um, So we normally set a target valuation based upon the the prior three years of financial results. Mm -hmm. So while 
Uh, well, actually, anybody who comes to us right now, I'll be looking at their prior three years. Of course, I'm going to be concerned about what's happening to their current business, and that could affect timing of a deal. I'm going to want to wait until their business is recovered. Um, in most cases, at least I want to wait until the business recovered if their business has uh, taken a, a downturn. But again, so for initial valuations, I look at the prior three years of uh, financial performance. We, uh, we, we use a multiple of five, which I think is pretty standard in the industry, set, to set a target valuation. And then we make our determination about how much we put down at closing. Uh, a, a significant factor of that is what the balance sheet looks like. We normally expect firms we acquire to have net assets at closing equal to two months of the prior year's average fees. Mm -hmm. um, so if their net assets are down because of the crisis, if they've had some losses, you know, these are all subject to discussion and negotiation. But, you know, another thing we, we include in our, all of our deals um, is we, we include um, an option both on the seller's part and the buyer's part to skip a quarter or a, uh, multiple quarters or a year mm -hmm. and, out and add a comparable. So if you skip a quarter, you add a quarter to the end of the deal. And the reason we do that is exactly for the current type of situation so that if there is a financial crisis, the, the seller isn't penalized uh, for that in the earn out. We can, we can skip the bad period and mm -hmm. resume that things get better. Um, and so that, so, uh, you know, that that certainly helped um, individuals who have sold their firm to us prior to the pandemic. And then now some of them are experiencing a downturn. So in any case, yeah. I, 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 oh, the other thing I should say is that generally our earnouts are five years. Now, yeah. some, some sellers are impatient, say, well, five years is too long, particularly in a situation like this, you know, seeing that things can go down, you know, bad and the economy can take a significant nosedive, it's better to have a longer term earnout so that you're not, particularly if there's an option to skip some uh, difficult periods, so you're not penalized in your earnout um, by uh, a significant economic downturn. It's helpful to know. Because many of your deals are financed a combination of resources you bring to the table plus dollars you pay out during the earnout period, as it relates to capital needed to make acquisitions, do you have a sense of how the banks and the capital markets will be reacting and supporting acquisitions? I, I think that uh, banks will evaluate the situation in a case-by-case -case basis, and it will depend upon the finances, financials both of the acquirer and of the company being acquired. Um, our bank has said to us that they would prefer not to approve any transactions until the current crisis is over, but we're fortunate to be in a position where um, we have we have the capital we need to continue to make acquisitions. Good. Your thoughts about aqua hires, which certainly many people know aqua hire would be key strategic hires who would come with a block of business. Will aqua hires be part of your strategy moving forward? Well, we have made aqua hires, and uh, you know, when we if the right opportunity comes along, we will we will do so again. Um, I I find uh, that real acquisitions are more reliable than an aqua hire because 
an aqua hire situation, it's it, there's just a lot of um, unknowns. Whereas for a well-established company, um, they have their client base, they have the team in place. Um, it's it's uh, I find there's more certainty there. So our, my preference is to to go with um, real acquisitions. But again, we've made aqua hires, and I'm sure we'll do so again. Got it. So coming through this pandemic, certainly there's going to be some owners that although their revenue is down, which correlates typically with their enterprise value being down, they're still going to need or want to sell over the next 12 to 18 months. What type of advice would you give those owners who are faced with a tough economic condition, but, but they want to monetize? Well, I, again, if they find a buyer who's taking a long-term point of view, both looking back from the long-term point of view and looking ahead from a long-term point of view, mm-hmm. um, they should be able to, to find a buyer. Um, yes. One piece of advice I would give them is do not, particularly in today's environment, do not expect a fast transaction. I said earlier, we normally find that a deal takes a year from our first conversation till we actually close on a deal. There's so many steps involved in an acquisition. The first part of it is just getting to know each other and making sure that you know the two firms are aligned culturally and from a values point of view. Um, but but then there's um, you know the next step is is writing a proposal, review of the proposal by the seller, discussion of any changes in the terms, due diligence, legal documentation. Um, in our case, you know we need to, to get our bank to approve each transaction. So, you know, while a deal can be done less in less than a year, uh, anybody who thinks they're going to find a buyer who's that they'll be ha- that they'll be happy with uh, long term, who's going to do a deal with them in three months or so, that's that's not they're not going to find the the right deal if they're in a rush. So, mm-hmm. uh, start, start planning early, and um, I would say you know plan to take your time. Good, helpful advice, Peter. Advice to Owners who may not have experience with acquisitions, but they want to consider that as part of their growth strategy. What would be some tips, advice you would give to buyers? It's a good question. Well, one of the things that that I've learned um, in in my years of doing this is anybody will, will any any owner of an agency will take a meeting and have a discussion about selling the firm because people are interested in finding out what their company is worth. Mm-hmm. But I, I have generally found that approaching companies that I'm interested in buying who are not ready and haven't decided that they're going to sell their firm is, is not fruitful. And it's actually, it's time consuming. And uh, uh, generally, I find it does not pay off. So what I do is generally, I will only engage in conversations with firms that have decided to sell and have hired an advisor who knows what they're doing. Because then I know they're going to be getting good advice and they'll be in a position to evaluate a proposal for me, you know, not based upon some blue sky idea what their business is worth, but, you know, a realistic assessment based upon input from somebody who's been through this before and knows what they're doing. So one piece of advice I would offer is focus on um, get, get to know the advisors who are helping agencies find buyers. Um, and uh, those those are the opportunities that brought to you by those advisors that are going to be most fruitful for you. Secondly, I guess, take your time. Don't try and rush a deal. Yes. Thirdly, make sure for a buyer, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. 
uh, do careful uh, financial modeling, looking look at both upside and downside uh, possibilities. And we always build into our uh, um, our acquisition agreements protection on the downside for us to make sure we don't get ourselves into a situation that's really disastrous. Well, very helpful advice. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Tobin Leff M&A podcast, produced by Hannah Vaughn with music by Holt Vaughn. Visit our website at tobinleff.com for case studies, additional resources, and to get in touch with our experts. Subscribe today and never miss an episode.